Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. We are back again uh, discussing the themes of creation, the image of God, and specifically all of this is leading towards uh, several lessons where we're going to be going uh, somewhat in depth into the whole concepts of male and female. Uh, last week, we talked about the Dominion Mandate. The week before that, uh, we talked about the image of God. This week, uh, the lesson is entitled, Something Has Gone Terribly Wrong. And we're talking about the fall uh, in which something uh, indeed did go quite, quite wrong. In the studio here today with me is the reverent and often revered Matt Barfield. Hello there. As well as the large-hearted Pastor Brandon. Thank you. All right. Yes. So I'll take it. He That's is large-hearted. That's a good one. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> we're going to... Uh, we're going to keep going. Uh, so as we're getting uh, started with this lesson, you know, we, we look at the world around us and we realize, okay, something something's not right. Something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. And uh, we see the beauty of creation, and that still shines through. Uh, we see the wonder and the glory and the splendor, and yet <clears throat> we look around and something is not right. And obviously the Bible has an answer for that. And the answer for that is that man has rebelled against God. God gave man a choice to submit to his plan and humbly and, obedient, humbly and obediently or to rebel. And man made the latter choice and the results have been absolutely catastrophic. So as we get started, one question that I, I think is kind of interesting and helps get our brains engaged along what exactly is the impact of the fall. And uh, so I'm going to ask two questions that are kind of related. What are some of the ways in which the world right now is not as God intended it? And what would it look like if the world tomorrow, if we were just to snap our fingers and everything was right, uh, and it looked like God intended it, uh, what would it look like? How would things change? Well, I think uh, one way that the world is not as God intended it is just that TikTok exists. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we'll start off with that. Pastor sure. Brandon, what do you think about TikTok? <laughs> um, but, I, I mean, obviously, one of the biggest things that the Bible highlights a lot, even in Genesis 6, is is, is violence. I mean, you could go all, all kinds of different routes with this. Uh, just sin in general, uh, a lack of fellowship with God, a lack of reverence for God. Um, I, I don't even, there's so many options to go. How, how is it? Yeah, I, my, I mean, my brain goes to death. Yeah, death. You know, I mean, mm. that's just yeah, not yeah, that's supposed big. to happen. And, yep. you know, and, and that fear of death, which keeps everybody right. in, in subject to the enemy, um, it keeps them in bondage um, through fear of death. So, I, I, you know, that was the first, that was one of the first things that happened. That was what God promised would happen. And we see how bad death is and what that does to us. And then, you know, to think of, uh, you know, life and what's supposed to happen is that life goes forward from, from this life to the next life into that uh, moving ahead. And now we have this regression back into death. And this thing is not, I mean, if you think about the works that we do, having to redo them over and over again. And, and God's goal, God's, God's end design is he does things and they continue to move forward. And, and now we have this sort of, as C.S. Lewis would have said, a pause or a failure to start. You know, we, we haven't started in this thing that he has planned for the future. I, we're going to talk about how the fall uh, impacts the dominion mandate and the, the control, the rule that we have over the earth. And I've sometimes, you know, just as a thought experiment, thought what if for the next five years, nobody, or put it, put it positively, everybody did exactly what they were supposed to do, like for their work, for their job. Because you think about the amount of waste, um, the amount of, of dishonesty you think about um, just people making mistakes because they're human and they make mistakes like what would a world look like where you didn't have to spend months debugging a program where what would a world look like where people didn't just call in sick because they didn't feel like going to work 
Um, and not necessarily that everyone would be workaholics, but where there would be an appropriate, like what if everything was done right? What would this world look like in five years, uh, in 15 years and 20 years and a hundred years and a thousand years. And, uh, that's, that's pretty cool to think about. It gets harder and harder to extrapolate, obviously the farther out you get, but I think that's kind of a, a taste of what's coming, uh, in the millennium where we have, you know, obviously things won't be perfect in the millennium because there will still be the opportunity for more human rebellion but at least as far as the curse that will be removed and and there will be an expectation that you follow god's laws uh and so i don't know that's just something that i've kind of thought of um as yeah, a, life will work yeah and work will be a good thing and there'll be lots more children and there'll be lots more productive things to do it's it's exciting you know it's, it's fun now to work here at church and everywhere you turn there's some good thing to do like, there's always somebody to help or something to do. It's a lot of fun. I mean, I'm, for those of you who don't get to work here 40 hours a week or more, uh, it's great. I, and, I, and I hope you do get experiences like that. But it's to imagine the Millennial Kingdom, everywhere you look, there's something good to do. Hmm. Dude, that's the ADHD paradise. I can't wait. And it's like, not going to be lost, right? Yeah, I mean, right. So, yeah, I right. just went, went, went to Europe. You've, you've heard that on the podcast before. And even like some of the technologies that have been lost, like everything you do is going to continue progressing and it's not going to be ruined by something. And I wish I had the imagination to really extrapolate, like you said, what it really will look like. I can't wait to find out because mm-hmm. we will in yeah, eternal state sure. and that's going to be super exciting. And I just think of God as uh, the overall theme of scripture. It ends with God restoring it <laughs> to how he intends it. And I'm, I'm just excited to find out exactly what it's going to look like because even my thinking is so, so faulty because of sin and even other people's shortcomings. We see people through incorrect lenses and yeah. our own situation through incorrect lenses and all of that. Yeah. It's really important for us to do these kind of thought experiments because mm-hmm. we're, like you just said, we're so used to the fall. We're yeah. so mm-hmm. used to this. I expect sin to happen. And right. That's, I, I don't like mm-hmm. that. No. Yeah. I mean, it's truth. It's reality, but there's going to be a day where I don't expect sin to happen. That's awesome. One of the, um, I think one of the most creative authors uh, when it comes to imagining life without a fall is actually C.S. Lewis. And we've, we've talked about him some here amongst ourselves. Matt got me to read the space trilogy, Paralandra. I think he does, he does a good job doing this kind of thing. Obviously I don't agree with all of his theology, but, but I think he, he's really good at imagining, okay, what would a world look, what, what mm. will eternity look like? And not just putting it in the same box that we're always used to having it in, but trying to think creatively and try to try to really wrestle with what will unbroken, unfallen humanity ruling over an unbroken, unfallen world look like. Mm. And he has some really neat ideas, but I, I'm sure he falls far, far short. And so, and I'm sure he would admit that as well. And he, he does as much in his books. And so uh, I think just thinking through this, it's helpful, number one, for us to set our heart on that. Mm. Uh, Hebrews 11 talks about how the saints of old, you know, they were, they were looking forward to a city. And if they'd been mindful of that country from which they'd come out, they would have had opportunity to, reser- to return. But they, they didn't. Why? Because they had set their hearts on something better. And I think as Christians living in America, especially, it can be very easy to just kind of get settled here and to remember that country from which we, we came out and to just kind of hang out there. Um, I think it's also helpful as we think about rebellion to think if, if we try and imagine what, what, does, what would perfection look like, it helps bring into greater relief what are some of the problems that we see around us today. Um, and so uh, we'll keep going here. The lesson breaks down into two parts. First of all, we see uh, really three parts, rebellion against the creator. And then we're going to see results of the rebellion. And then we're just briefly going to talk about God's created order and gender and the rebellion that we're seeing there today in our culture. 
And obviously that's going to be a bigger theme as we go forward. So if we just kind of briefly touch on that, uh, we'll, we'll be back uh, there. So as we look at rebellion against the creator, first thing we see is that individuals rebel against God's created order. This is Genesis chapter three. So uh, let's see here. Brandon, can you read Genesis three, four through six for us? Yes, I've got it right here. Genesis three, four to six says, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die for God doth not God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Okay, so we have the first rebellion, uh, the first sin in the history of the world. Uh, This is, uh, obviously, it is a literal event that happened, but it also is a picture and it, it gives us important instruction on how all of temptation works. It's almost as if the author of, of Genesis here is, is pulling back the, the layers and showing us uh, Satan's operation. So three observations about this passage. First of all, people sin because they want to be in charge. Um, the serpent said that Eve would get to know good from evil. Um, another way of understanding this is that Eve would be the one to decide what's good and what's evil. Essentially, Satan is challenging Eve that she should decide what's right and wrong and not God. And at the core of all sin is a demand that humans make, a demand to play God and to be the one who decides on our own terms what is good and evil. So in what ways do we see our culture today demanding the right to determine good and evil? Our, our culture has benefited so much from the Bible. It's benefited so much from Christianity historically. And people are living at a very high level in terms of um, resources and even in terms of thinking in some ways, there's a lot of really good, there are a lot of really good stones laid down previously in previous generations. And so people now, their temptation is to think, well, this is all this kind of living, this kind of, this kind of society in which we care for those that are weak, in which we you know, try to make allowances for people that have needs. That's normal. And so now I'm going to say, well, then if that's the case, if that's the normal, well, then I need to go and, and have mercy on this kind of sin. If I need to go have mercy on this kind of, on this kind of error. And um, it, that only makes sense if you assume a Christian tradition. Hmm. So I think, I think what's happening is very much what you're just writing about. People are saying they're putting themselves in God's place without thinking about it. They think that they can, you know, Jesus asked the question, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? And our generation says, me, <laughs> I can. I can make myself better. I can do this. I can go taller. I can go there further. There are surgeries for that. You know that? <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. Yeah. They break bone and spread it yeah. and, and try to make themselves grow. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, people, people think they're in charge of everything now mm-hmm. because in some ways, because we've been blessed. If mm-hmm. you go around the world and go to mm-hmm. other countries where they didn't have what we have, the history that we have, the culture that we have, the truth that we've had laid down for all these years, nobody thinks that. Nobody, the, mm-hmm. the, it's, it's much easier to explain, you know, this is wrong, uh, either from their culture or from, of course, from God's words, what I try to do. But, but here it's very hard to do because, with the, because they benefited from the Bible. And so now their next step is to say, well, I'm in charge at this level. And that looks way worse because when you're up here at this level, you know, the level that we're used to, and then you start to make those kinds of divine decisions, you end up doing real damage to not just what you had, but to what you currently are. You think you're a God. You think you set the moral tone and that you can see all the pieces and you have all the data and you do not and mm. you never will. And you'll always need God's wisdom to make right choices. Yeah, and I think uh, something you just said brought back all, all of the allusions we have to, to science, to science, to science. And that mm. that's 
often alluded to as a, a form of authority. And, hey, I can rule over this because I have all the data. I have all the science. I know my knowledge. And we, we have this perception that if I have knowledge, I can, I can rule everything. And I took it maybe from me, that question, maybe a little bit more like a, a practical standpoint. How are we, how do we see culture demanding the right to determine good and evil? I mean, we see that in how our government is operating. Uh, we're, we're trying to micromanage everything and legislate morality at, at different levels and also telling people what, what's right and wrong. And even in trying to control the, the climate yeah, and trying to micromanage that and yeah then telling people that it's a moral issue when it, it probably really isn't according to scripture. Um, and we've assigned these moral values to things that necessarily aren't necessarily right or wrong categories. Yeah. Um, and then try to assign a law to it. Yeah. And we've heard a lot in the last few years that is law and we've decided what law is. And if you break that, you're wrong. Right. Unless I disagree with the law, then we'll change it. Right. <laughs> and it, it's constantly changing and, and ebbing and flowing. Well, it's hard. It's impossible, I'd say, to build consensus without an external rule. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so well, how did America get to consensus before? Well, there was an external rule for right. a long time on mm-hmm. the courthouse walls, Ten Commandments. You know, there were mm-hmm. there were things external to our temporary fleeting day that we live in, this little shadow that follows us around. And there were things that were greater than that, outside of that. And now it's all about... The, my my 24 hours on the stage and it's just this, this is it and so people people are very much thinking they're in charge of things as you said use the word in charge and that doesn't always result in this grand you know let's rebel completely a lot it's not a little small uh the old word that i would use is mean right it's just it's not great it's tiny it's it's these little feudal rebellions against against god all the time in this area in that area constantly saying no i'm going to decide about this and i i think what you started to allude to, we could go really quickly to the big hot button issues, the hot topics like sexuality, right and wrong. People are demanding to make moral dis- values there, um, abortion, life, all those issues. But I think it goes down to even smaller issues. It, and I even wrote down, hey, entertainment. I, I can decide what's good and evil, what, what, I, what entertains me. And I think that that does come back to what you started to say. There's, there's some, there's some room for entertainment. I'm no longer just trying to sur- survive. <laughs> yeah. I, I want things to entertain me. And now entertainment push, pushes out there and tries to preach to us what they say is right and wrong. You know, with my son over in Lebanon, he's having some interesting experiences and, and they've done a couple of things for fun that are fun, but it's interesting. Like it's a different perspective. Like one day, uh, the missionary he's with, they, they took a family rest day, vacation day, and they went to this farm where they could feed the animals and ride the donkeys and stuff like that. And that was their, that was their fun day. Hmm. And, uh, and he's like, this is actually was a lot of fun. He enjoyed it. Uh, the other night they went out and they did uh, at night, um, they did net fishing at night on the Mediterranean. John had to swim out in the middle of the night into the sea and set the nets, you know, and all this stuff. And, and they caught these fish and, you know, he's, he came back exhausted. That's a lot of fun though. You know, hmm. so, so you talk about entertainment when we see entertainment, we think of either a screen or a yeah. stage, like we're there and it's, and it's that, um, we don't really do anything. You know, get fish. I just go to the grocery store. Right. <laughs> exactly right. Someone's done it for me. That's exactly right. But no, they're, they're like, and he's, you know, what's happening when he's having that is he's, he's engaging, he's learning, he's having a lot of fun. So it, it is funny how we, how we've, We've divorced entertainment from anything really virtuous and profitable or valuable. Yeah. Right. yeah. Nothing comes of it. Yeah. Right. It's empty. Uh, I find this very ironic that you were saying, I, I find it interesting that other people are doing things that I wouldn't classify as fun. When your son invited my son over 
this weekend and they put bricks in a backpack and ran around and i'm like oh that sounds like a party dude it was so fun it was so fun yeah they were in the river and everything had a blast so as we think through this um we have a culture that demands the right to determine good and evil in what ways can we as christians fall into that same trap of wanting uh, to be the one to decide good and evil and perhaps ways that we don't even realize i think sometimes we uh, we uh, have rebellion that masquerades as compassion. Um, mm. And we just say, hey, I've got to be kind. And in our culture, we really, our culture really values politeness. No one's ever going to disagree. We agree to disagree by not talking about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes. Or even, you know, it's to the point where it's not even just we, we agree not to talk about it. But I think it's wrong, but I'm going to tell you that I'm okay with that. Right. Or that I affirm that yeah, about you because if that's what, what if that's what if that's what you want, then that's good for you. Because we have overvalued feelings and emotions and experiences. Um, and I just love Second Peter, uh, chapter one, and he says, "Listen, I I saw Jesus on the the Mount of Transfiguration. We have a more sure word of prophecy." And he's saying God's word is better than our experiences. And I think we've come to our experiences and emotions and feelings, and even as Christians, we can fall into that. And we're like, "Well, I'm just being nice." and I, I need to be loving uh, at the same time, even when I stand for truth. I think from, for me personally, this will, this should be a little bit humbling as I explain this, um, because I think if those of you that know me know that um, I, I, I try to be certain about the things that I, I'm very outspoken about things. And that no. I think one of the, one of the ways that we, we do what you just asked, how do we determine good and evil is we, we get dogmatic about the wrong things. Hmm. Um, and we conflate truth with preference. Um, and, and I, I say that knowing that I think in our generation, in our days, the, one of the biggest problems we have is very few people are dogmatic. Like mm-hmm. the only thing bad to do is to be, you know, dogmatic about what you believe and to not wear a seatbelt. Like those are the only seats. Those are the only sins left. Right? <laughs> Stop right. talking about the seatbelt. Yeah, Move on. I, the seatbelt gives me, I know, it does. <laughs> I know. See, so I, so, but, but that has, and still will remain even, even in this, these days where people are trying to be permissive and allow everything and validate everybody and celebrate everybody that can become dogmatic and you shouldn't be dogmatic about, there are like six or seven things about which you should be dogmatic and that's it. And I'm dogmatic about that. So. <laughs> that would be number eight. Also, if you're in the car right now and you're wearing your seatbelt, Matt still values you. Yeah, I do. So I'm yeah, glad you're I mean, wearing a seatbelt. What you said that is humbling because, as you said, we we get dramatic about our preferences. We and do. Like immediately, our minds start flooding with all the times we personally have done that. Yep. And, mm-hmm. oh. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's so important that we not say this is the Bible or that this is what God says because it's not. Mm-hmm. Like we need to be very clear on that because there are things that God has said, and we should die for that. One thing that I've noticed too is that group groups that do that. First of all, every group tends towards that. Right. Um, in Scripture, we see that where. Um, you know, you have the Pharisees, you have the, the, the Israelites and, and ancient Israel. Everyone has this tendency to, I become really dogmatic on things that aren't as important because it's easy if I, if I focus on those and those are the things that I'm always kind of harping on, I'm the good guy. Mm. And, um, because those are typically things that I'm doing. Yeah. You yeah. know, the, if it, I'm not harping on something like, man, this is absolutely wrong and I just keep struggling with it. We need to stop doing that. No, it's, it's something that I think is wrong. Therefore, I don't do it. Therefore, I then push it on everybody else. Why? I think in part because it makes me feel better. And I can rail against other people and feel very moral and righteous in doing so. And then as, as Christ said to the Pharisees, 
these are the weightier, weightier matters. Yeah. The things that you're really big on, I'm not saying those don't matter. Right. I'm saying those are comparatively less important. You know, making sure you give God one out of every 10 mint leaves is a good thing. That's not bad. But not showing love and justice and mercy and compassion because you're so busy over here focusing on tithing mint leaves, that's a problem. And right. I think we all have this tendency where we, we, have to be, we have to be critically reflective and say, okay, am I following God's word? In what ways am I missing the boat? Because the temptation is to say, here are these areas where everybody else is missing the boat. Man, they, they need to get on board with it rather than saying, in what ways am I missing it? Yeah. I, there's a couple of stories stand out to me when I think about that from the Bible. Um, one is uh, the story of Jephthah, where mm-hmm. the Bible talks about the days of the judges. Every man's doing that, which is right in his own eyes. They're worshiping false gods. They're being brought into captivity. And and here's Jephthah, who's born in an illegitimate relationship with his fa- you know His father has an illegitimate relationship, which results in Jephthah. And his brothers go, you know, it's illegal to have an illegitimate child inherit. You can't inherit. <laughs> You're worshiping false gods. Like, yeah. like you, you remember that? And forgot about bail? Like, come on. Like, how do you do that? Um, benefited them. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> right. Exactly right. Right? We're doing that. Yeah. Like, we're going to keep that law. Um, it also reminds me of the woman at the well who says, you know, we worship in this mountain. Our fathers worshiped here. But you Jews mm-hmm. say it was in Jerusalem. And Jesus, like, blows it out of the wall. Look, <laughs> listen. You know, just clear the thing. I'm telling you, it's not going to be here or there. The Father seeks us to worship him yeah. in spirit. And in well, truth. and he makes the same comment to her. He's like, okay. <laughs> this is a farce. You're you're living with a guy and you've had five husbands. And I think the point that he's trying to make there is you're asking a, a nitpicky question about worship. You can't worship. You're living yeah. in sin. Like yeah. we've got to take care of the sin problem. Where you worship isn't the problem. Right. Can you even worship? No. Let's fix that. And I, I like what he does there too. He answers a question. He doesn't entirely dismiss it, but he answers it quickly. And then he, he brings the focus back to the main issue. And the main issue was that she was in sin. And it doesn't matter if she's in Jerusalem or Gerizim, she can't worship right. until she gets that right. Right. And I think that's true for a lot of us. You and know, then, all he, of and then he says, and I'm the one. You know, yeah. The, the yeah, one yeah. you're speaking to is he, you know. And I'm the, I'm the solution. I'm, the I'm solution. here. That's so great. That's great. Um, as we, as we, we got to keep moving. Um, people sin uh, because uh, they want to be in charge. I'll just read these off and we'll move on to the next point for time's sake. People sin because they think they know better. Um, all throughout Genesis 1 and 2, we read that God saw it was good, God saw it was good, God saw it was good. Now for the first time, man, uh, represented here by Eve, mankind, sees something is good. Eve saw the fruit that it was good. Um, and so this is the, you know, Eve thought she knew better than God. God said, don't eat that. Eve said, but it, but it looks good. Um, really, at its, at its root, all sin is unbelief. It's a failure to believe what God has said because I think I know better. Um, and then people sin because they want what they can't have. Nobody forces you to sin. Nobody grabbed Eve and, you know, pushed her onto the ground and shoved the fruit into her mouth. She, she chose to eat it. Uh, nobody forces us to sin. Uh, we sin because we want to sin. So we see that cultures rebel against, or individuals rebel against God. We also see that cultures rebel against God. So we come to Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. Uh, kind of an interesting side note, Babel is the Hebrew word for Babylon. Uh, this is kind of the origin story, if you will, for, uh, for the world. I've, I've kind of toyed with the idea of doing a series called, you know, the origin stories of the bad guys in scripture, the world mm. of flesh and the devil. Um, That'd be cool. It would be kind of cool. I like that idea, yeah. So this would be the origin story of the world. Where does Ooh. the world come from? I like that. Well, you have this, this first culture. Yeah. Don't, don't steal it. I can see it in his eyes. use the word zeitgeist. <laughs> zeitgeist. And any chance you can use the word zeitgeist, it's like, oh, you got to take it. There you go. Well, the zeitgeist. That's, you, you just did. Yes. Yeah, so twice. <laughs> twice. Um, 
We'll see if we can how many times we can use the word zeitgeist before the rest of this podcast is over. <laughs> Let's not play that game. <laughs> uh, you're not really getting into the zeitgeist of this game, Brandon. No. Um, cultures rebel against God's order. So we have Babylon, this attitude, uh, this spirit of rebellion against God. Uh, so let's just read quickly. It's not super long. Uh, Matt, could you read Genesis 11, 1 through 9 for us? Genesis 11, 1 through 9. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass that they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language." They may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from the tents upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Is that all? That's all. I got it. That's verse 9. Good job. I I wanted to read the genealogies next. I thought you said 11. I was going, (laughs) oh, wait, these are the generations of Shem. Whoa. Too far. That's Um, nice. So as we look at this, first question What's going well in Babel? As, as we look at this, uh, what, what do we see that, that is perhaps positive? It seems different from the pre-flood world, which was very filled with violence, mm-hmm. um, you know, which looks like chaos and, and mm-hmm. just anarchy from what I've... Every time mm-hmm. you ever go to the, uh, the, the Ark Museum down, the, mm-hmm. uh, down in Kentucky, they show you the pre-flood world, and it's very, you know, the images are very violent, and, and that's what the Bible describes there. Here you see an ordered city. Here you see people working together, effectively doing something, you see people seemingly getting along. Well, and, you know, earlier I said that throughout Genesis 4, 5, and 6, we were given uh, really 7, 8, um, well, 4, 5, and 6 primarily, we see more examples of individual rebellion. We see Cain rebellion. We see Lamech rebellion. rebellion. And I said, now you may look and say, well, Genesis 6, isn't that a culture in rebellion against God? But the difference there, I think, is that it does seem more like it's the individuals. There's acts of violence. Everybody's heart's evil. Like everyone's just kind of going their own direction. In Genesis 11, we do see this unification. And uh, some have pointed out that really the the origin of government uh, can be tied back to Genesis, I believe it's 9, maybe 8, where we have the Noahic Covenant. And the Noahic Covenant, God gives man the right to kill man. Well, that implies some kind of a structure, some kind of an order uh, that would allow that. And so really, the you know, you have the beginning of government after the flood. Genesis 11, you have really the account of the first city. Um, there are cities before, but of the first organized structure uh, country or, or empire, if you will. Mm. Um, what else do we see that we look at and we're like, okay, that, that seems like it's going well. I mean, very similar. There's unity, but there's unity around the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. We see what they're trying to build. They are doing something productive. Um, they're moving forward. Uh, so similar things to what Matt Yeah, they, they weren't told a whole lot. They were told to go fill up the earth. And and that one thing they were told to do is what they <laughs> refused to do. We don't want to be scattered. Uh, no. Lest we be scattered, let's build this. Right. Like, well, and from a human standpoint, you can see why... That makes a lot right. of sense. Sure. There's strength in numbers. Um, I believe the, the Valley of Shinar here is, is well watered. Right. You know, this True. is actually, 
historically, this is where civilization had its beginning, and uh, secular history would confirm that, that this area kind of in the Middle East is where, um, you know, you have these beginning Sumerian culture and things like that. So it, it makes sense that, hey, we're traveling along, we're kind of vagabonds, oh, here's a good place, let's settle down. Do you want to leave there? I mean, that's what God calls Abraham. Do you want to leave there and go somewhere else? Why don't you go out in the desert? Or, you know, and it just makes more sense. No, let's let's stay here. It's safe. It's comfortable, and um, and it's it's easy. Yeah, and it's it's so amazing how quickly, I, I think this happens to a lot of people all the time. Here's this climat- Here's this incredible event once in the in the world. This huge flood that God just destroyed everybody, and all these people are one generation away from that. Right? They're all close to that it's not like mm-hmm. it's you know it's not like it's that distant they, they know people Noah was alive for a long time after this it wasn't like this was something that was opaque to them they were living in light of that recent judgment i mean the earth is still bearing the scars of it mm-hmm. in these days they're probably going through ice age and different things like this so there's all this stuff that's happening that's right there and they're like yeah we need to you know we need to make sure we take care of ourselves. <laughs> it's like, hmm. you think you can, <laughs> you know, it, it reminds me, I think I mentioned it before of, of the Pharisees after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, who's been dead for four days. And they go, Oh, we got to kill that guy. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. you, you think you can Yeah. like, really? Yeah. Like that's a strange takeaway from this. And I think that's what this is. They're like, Oh, we we're in charge of this again. Going back to that. Really? He just decimated the whole planet. And killed all but eight people. You really think you're in charge of this? Yeah, and you do think you look at human history. There tends to be pendulum swings. So maybe they're somewhat having a reaction, like, "Hey, everybody was doing their own thing. Let's all do the same thing." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and let, let's do it together. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stitches for snitches, man. We're, sticking, <laughs> we're in this thing, man. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's weird. I mean, people do that today. Like they'll, you, you know, we just had this COVID thing. People were like searching for God and, and people were confused and hurt and looking. And now, now what? And mm-hmm. any, is that, is that, has that remained at all? A very little. Yeah, I just, like people are, people are all up in arms about whatever freedom they think they, they should have to do sin. Um, so it's, it's a, it's crazy how soon we move mm-hmm. away from the most mm-hmm. harrowing events that surely would get anyone's attention. Nope. Phew, that I was remember. close. Let's go back to regular life now. <laughs> right. We all, we just, came through 9-11, and I, I remember 21 years ago yeah. how, how mm-hmm. much people ran to prayer and to God and were right. in churches. And, I mean, that lasted a month, a month two, yeah. maybe some remnants for a year, and it hasn't been talked about in a long time. Right. Yeah, it's it's like, uh, you know, what's the one thing God told us not to do? Oh, yeah, let's do that together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's too bad. So... We've seen uh, that individuals rebel. We've seen that cultures rebel. And I think the thing that I want to take away from this is that not only did Babylon rebel, other cultures have rebelled. And what's interesting is when you look at it, the rebellion looks different. So the way America, 21st century, is rebelling against God looks different than the way that Greece or Rome, their cultures rebelled against God. Yeah. But you take any culture and you look at it hard enough and long enough, you're going to find ways where that culture is saying, yeah, I mean, nobody can throw God's word entirely because then you do have anarchy. I mean, it's just, it goes, it goes totally south and there's nothing left. You've got to hold on to some parts of God's word. Um, but what happens is, well, this part we don't need or that part we disagree with or this over here. And so you have this, you know, this structure where uh, different cultures are pushing against this or pushing against that. And um, it, the rebellion looks different, but at the core, it's all rebellion that says we know better than God does. Um, so let's uh, move on. Let's talk about 
Did you have something you want to say? Yeah, I was just noticing even in our culture today, and you brought up culture again, if you pay really close attention to the epic stories that kind of are the end of the world and even a remake of a of a movie, um, what, what's the one about the, the last days that Nicolas Cage was in? Left Behind. Uh, left, yeah, The Left Behind. So if you, if you watch that version, basically the story, and there was a TV show recently within the last 10 years that I saw and I started watching, and the whole theme was we can stop, and they took biblical ideas, we can stop God as long hmm. as we do it together. Um, they, they twisted the two prophets from the end times, and they came and they said, we're, we're going stop, to stop God from ending the world because we're going to, together we're more powerful it's than It's a God. popular theme these days. It, oh, it's a huge mm-hmm. theme. People love it. Um, and that, that, that theme popped up in that Nicolas Cage version of, of Left Behind. We're, we got to stop this. We got to stop what God is trying to do. Why are we always trying to stop what God is trying to do? And that's just re- that's rebellion. That's the whole point, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, we won't mention any uh, large blockbuster movies that are essentially all of humanity uniting to stop somebody who made half the world disappear with the right. snap of his fingers. That right. Would, that right. would probably be going too far. What are we talking about? <laughs> so bad. Huh? So um, bad. You got to hate that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's talk about results of the rebellion. Uh, so we have rebellion in the image of God. So when... <laughs> TikTok. When... <laughs> That's... There you go. <laughs> That's right. <That's> <laughs> When we see this rebellion, God responds, and he responds in, in kind of in ways that uh, are the, um, well, we'll look at God's response later under the dominion mandate, but part of this rebellion uh, impacts the image of God. Man was designed to reflect the creator. Uh, now he does that imperfectly. So I'm just going to ask this question. What do you think uh, are the results when a creature designed to reflect its creator does not reflect the creator? I think to put it very succinctly, I think we feel broken. Because we're not accomplishing what we were designed to do. And we've talked about that before and just the purposelessness of it. And we feel that. And people came to Jesus in Luke 17, I believe. I hope that's the right passage. Um, and said, hey, what about all these bad things that have happened? What about the blood that's been mingled in the streets? He said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, don't think it's because they were worse than all people. It, we all need to repent. And they bring up multiple things. And I think we, we feel the brokenness. And people are constantly asking <laughs> Why is there so much suffering? And we, we haven't lived God's way and fulfilled the purposes for which God has called us to and created us to, to accomplish. We develop a narcissist's memory. And the only thing we can remember is our own face. Hmm. I mean, it's like this, uh, we're completely consumed with looking at ourselves. It's this navel gazing that just doesn't do anything productive instead of, instead of considering God uh, and what he's, you know, he said eternity in our hearts, right? There's, there's so much there so many glorious things that he's given mm-hmm. us the opportunity to consider and think about and be involved in. And we waste it on self-absorption. Mm. Yeah. I think the, um, you know, we talk about, there's a lot of talk right now about identity and identity crisis and, you know, um, people are, people are confused. You know, they're, they were put on this planet for a reason. And if you're not fulfilling that, you're going to be confused right. and it's going to lead to societal breakdown. It's going to lead to confusion and, and anger and, and all of the, the troubles that we see in the world today, many of them can be tied back to, you've got people that have, once you start, once you, once you have that initial breakdown of I'm not reflecting God as I was designed to do, I think it's going to compound. I think it's going to continue to snowball. Uh, until God in his grace steps in, either with common grace and, and holds back the full brunt of that evil or uh, with saving grace and bringing redemption and, and showing people their need of Christ and 
then recreating them from the inside out so that they can reflect them as they were originally designed. When you when you said societal collapse, I, I, I'm thinking of the self-sacrifice that's required for society to function in, in the most basic form. You know, if, if you got a selfish husband or a selfish wife, that's a very dysfunctional marriage. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we've, got, we've got a selfishness instead of a self-sacrificing. I mean, humanity is supposed to start when a, when a woman gives birth to a child. What greater picture of self-sacrifice hmm. is this woman making the life of this baby possible? Like, we don't get society without that, and we're destroying that. We're ripping that apart in not just in abortion, but in, in all kinds of ways that people are finding to mess up that thing and to make it about me having a child or make it about, I mean, there's all kinds of ways that gets ripped to pieces yeah. and, uh, and not good at all. And, and look, it's, it's designed to show, you know, why do we have Mother's Day? Because none of us would be here without the self-sacrifice <laughs> of these mothers. Look at what they've done. This is unbelievable. How, did this, how is this possible? That's what's supposed to capture our attention, and it doesn't. We get wrapped up in ourselves, and now motherhood is seen as an undesirable thing. Um, people say, you know, they yeah. asked they asked women in Germany of childbearing age, how many children is the ideal number of children in a family, and they said zero. That was the common yeah. answer was zero. Nobody don't have kids. Uh, so what's what's happening? Now self sacrifices from the most, you know, the, the relationship that everybody has. That self sacrifice part is taken away. Yeah, not even to mention having children changes you in so many ways. And so that doesn't overflow into the rest of society and community mm. in what you've learned by, right. by having children. And so that true. affects how you, in, that's how I, it affects how I interact with you. Yeah. Um, affects how I interact with a lot of people. For sure. Um, and that, that's God's design. And well, it shows something of himself, right? Look what, yeah. look how far he was willing to sacrifice. I mean, that's, that's, that's where we, that's what we want to eventually see is, is Christ and the sacrifice that he made for us. He held back nothing. He, he, he held back on his own son. He delivered him up for us yeah. all. Like that, that idea of him giving and sacrificing, that is key. And it's supposed to start naturally with human seeing this, this very obvious relationship, this primary relationship. And it's getting shattered. Well, when you, when you have a, a child, you go from being essentially self-focused to being essentially child-focused. And I mean, you know, even, even in marriage, marriage affects that, obviously, but when I got married, my wife and I, we, we still, we, we went from doing what I wanted to doing what we wanted. You married somebody you liked, not somebody who sat around and cried all night. <laughs> right. Well, and it was, <laughs> we still were doing. Like these babies cry all oh, night. Okay. That's they where ruin I was coming your sleep. From. I was like, what? They take all your money. <laughs> they take all your time. They don't give you anything for like six months. They don't even smile. Like how selfish is that? <laughs> Man, don't be crazy. But like you, we went from essentially being, I do what I want to, we do what we want. Okay. Right. So we, we got to negotiate that yeah. a little bit. There's no negotiating with a six month old. <laughs> That's right. That, you know, you just, you've got to do, and, and with the kids and st- you know, it just, I didn't even realize at the time, like how much it changes your life. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're, even when you're young and married with, without kids, you're like, Hey, let's go over to so-and-so's house. Hey, right, let's, right. you know, you stay up till 10, 11 yeah. o'clock. And then before you leave, you like, now, well, the kids got to get to bed. Right. And that doesn't, that doesn't dominate our lives, but that's always in the back of our so minds and that impacts our schedule. Everyone listening, get married young, have lots of kids. Then you won't be able to compare it to anything. That's <laughs> right. That was my plan. <laughs> How did it work, man? It's great. But it, it does, like, especially over time, you know, I can remember those first maybe year or so. That was, that was kind of tough because I, I kind of, I wanted my way. I wanted to do my thing and it bothered me. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me anymore because that it's changed. That part of me's died. Yeah. And that's, that's a good thing. That's, 
um, a, a direction of, of selflessness. Well, we, we're talking about children and, and all that and families, and we'll, we'll probably touch base on that more. Um, but uh, just talking about we are the image of God, and part of God is that he gives and that he sacrifices. And uh, when we don't do that as a culture, it leads to breakdown. Before you move on, I just want to correct. It's not Luke 17, it's Luke 13. Oh, now you may move on. Man, that was disappointing. Other prime number. I wanted to clarify. <laughs> oh. Other prime <laughs> I knew that, yeah. Um, all right, so uh, I think because of time, I'm just going to kind of finish out here uh, the, what we have in the notes and then uh, kind of touch base on what we're doing next week, and then we'll uh, we'll let you go. Uh, rebellion and the dominion mandate. So man decided to rebel against God. God had told man to fill the earth and to subdue it. Now having children would be done through pain. And if we, if we look historically, the, the pain is not just, Ooh, how it hurts. Am I going to get an epidural or not? I mean, historically throughout the great history of the world, childbirth was not just painful, but dangerous and deadly. And there's uh, kind of this sad irony that this thing, which brings forth life, which is necessary for the propagation of life is so often connected to death because very frequently uh, there would be death involved. And so now there's pain, there's misery involved with, with this good thing that we're supposed to do. And then secondly, the, the ground is cursed. And so now uh, man has to, has to work. It's through the sweat of his brow. There's futility, there's frustration, as Romans 8 talks about. And so again, this good thing that man is called to do, to till the earth, to take care of the world, to build and create, now there's frustration and there's vanity. And we could kind of go in a lot of different directions with what that looks like. Um, but we'll, uh, for time's sake, we'll just wrap things up. And then finally, uh, we'll be looking in the coming weeks at this idea of God's created order and gender. God created things a certain way. He created the male and female. He designed marriage and family to work a certain way. And when we follow God's created order, it leads to human flourishing. When we reject God's created order, it leads to death. And we are in a culture right now that is increasingly rejecting God's created order, and it is increasingly leading to death, both literally, uh, but also on a spiritual and on a cultural level. Um, any thoughts before we wrap things up? We have to be against that. We have to make a line in the sand, at least in our minds, about a culture of life, culture of death, and make sure that we can see the difference and that we're on God's side on this. I think big picture, the word that just kept coming back to my mind is I have so much hope to look forward to because God is restoring this. And it, it, it is a mess right now, but God is a restoring God. Yeah. And that's a really good point to jump off because next week we're going to be talking about God's restoration and redemption, specifically through Jesus. So we're talking, uh, this series is about gender issues. It's also kind of about uh, the doctrine of what we would call anthropology, the study of man, humanity, as we call it, in the image of God. And Jesus, when he comes, he comes as the perfect man to put, uh, to, to fix everything, to put to right everything that God has made and created and that has gone wrong uh, because of us. And so next week, we're going to be looking at redemption specifically through not just anyone, but through the man, Christ Jesus, and how Jesus and his humanity comes and fixes what we have uh, messed up so badly. Mm. Looking forward to that, and uh, we'll see you here next week. See ya. Goodbye. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.